Uh, there's an old saying, don't judge a man until you've walked a mile in his moccasins. I don't know if that's Native American or if it's just a newer thing, but it's so true. It's so easy for us to look at other people and enter in this plus this equals that and think that we haven't figured out. It's so easy to look at our boss and say, if I was in charge, it would be different. It's so easy to look at a problem and say, if I was involved, I'd bring the solution. But the truth of the matter is, is that we all have our walk to walk and we all need shoes for the journey. And so what I wanna to talk to you about here this morning is, uh, is how, to put, how to select your shoes. And so we're gonna kinda of go into the, the shoe closet as we say, are there a couple, there probably, don't raise your hands, you probably a couple of you that got a shoe closet in this place. Some of, you got those elephant high heel shoes that are just like killer, and you got platform shoes and glitter shoes, and notice I put it all in lady terms, but there's some, there some guys out there that have some shoe things going on with all kinds of boots and shoes. And, but the shoe that you're looking at actually right now up there is one of the oldest shoes known to man that we have. It is a moccasin. It was found at the Dead Sea uh, Qumran community where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, where this upcoming October we'll be going there, and you can see that shoe and be like, yeah, gross. But this is a sandal, and the first pair of shoes I want to talk about here this morning are walking shoes. But if you join me in prayer, we're going to ask God to bless as we talk here to make this a message that we can walk out in our daily life. That's what God wants, practical truth. So Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I ask that you'd help us to hear the voice of the Spirit, to hear, Lord, that maybe high heels don't work on a hike, that boots aren't the kind of thing to wear to a wedding. Lord, there are right shoes for the right moment, and they need to fit. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd help us with this thing called walking with God. And that this truth would be relevant to help us go further, faster, to be everything that you intended us to be in knowing you, finding freedom, discovering our purpose so that we could walk out and make a difference in this world for Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you look at the life of Abraham, before there were any Ten Commandments, before there was uh, any law, you have Abraham. And this, this verse right here sums up the only place that God gave Abraham a command. He gave Abraham all promises, no commands except this one. And it reads like this, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram. Let me just pause on that 99-year-old part right there. How many of you were here last week when we had a 102-year-old woman in our service? That lady is longing for somebody to visit her at that nursing home and is also longing for somebody that might time to time bring her to our church service. And if you're that person that says, you know what, I can't get out there and help with the homeless outreach, but I definitely would love to love on that woman and visit her, that would be relevant. But look at Abraham, 99. This tells me that God never stops expecting us to walk straight in a crooked world all the days of our life. He always looks for us to continue to walk with him. And he says to Abraham, he says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, God's not saying walk before me and be perfect because there's no one perfect except God. But here's the thing is, is that in order for us to walk straight in a crooked world, 
We need to be walking before God, in the face of God. When, when Adam and Eve sinned, the first thing they did was remove themselves from God, hid themselves from God, hid themselves from each other. But God says, listen, walk before me, walk faults and all, let your aim be to be blameless before me. If, let your aim be to just walk out life. I always was frustrated with people that would come up to me and say, where do you want to be in five years from now, in 10 years from now? Now, I understand that that's a personality type. I'm a, believe it or not, I'm a very massively driven individual, but I've never been one of those people that ends up at the right place at the right time because I made all the right decisions, all the right choices, and activated the plan at the right second. It's actually that I've, the thing that I've gotten right is, is that I just continue to walk before God, ambitiously engaging life as it's coming to me, and somehow God just brings me to the place that he wants me to be, when he wants me to be there. And that's what God wants for many of us, whether you have the vision way in advance and say, I'm going to be here and go do this and that, you're able to say, but God, I'm going to make sure that I do it, that I walk before you. And let me just say this. I'm not saying this. I can't even see anyone who's there. I have nobody in mind, but I need to say this honestly. There's such a movement, and I say this even online, maybe even former students that are watching this, people out there that are kind of doing life, and there's this movement called the Duns. They're like, I'm done with church. I'm done with going to church. It's not that I've given up on Jesus. I've just given up on church. I'm sorry, but walking before God, you can't do Jesus without doing church. You know why? Because we are called the bride of Christ. That would be like me going up to a guy and saying, bro, what's up? Hey, really love you, man, but your wife, she is baggage. I don't like her. I can't stand her. So make sure when we connect, we're going to do life together. We're going to journey together, but I don't want anything to do with your bride. Put that logic together and ask yourself, does that movement really make sense? No, actually, the big thing that most people deny is the very truth, is that it's really a byproduct of church hurt. It's church hurt. Somebody hurt me. And unfortunately, life just happens that way. And God wants you to walk before him, and he wants you to walk life out with his people, flawed people like you and me, people who are not perfect, and what you'll find is, is that life was never about the destination. It was about the journey that God wanted to work out through your life each step of the way. Walk before me. Walking out that walk of faith. Got another pair of shoes I want to throw your way. Second one are what is called, I would call the feet of readiness. Feet of readiness comes from Ephesians reads like this, 6.15, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This is translated a lot of different ways. Putting on, uh, with readiness, putting on the gospel of peace. But he, here's, here's the thing to get from this, is that, that the shoes, first of all, that we're looking at, let me, this would be easier if I explain it this way first. If, I don't know if you can see it clearly. I'm believing God for us to eventually get screens in here so we can see things clearer on that. It's hard with the lighting. But in the, Roman, in the Roman army, when you were issued a pair of shoes, they have underneath them metal nails, metal, metal studs. That's designed that if you're fighting and you have to plant, 
plant your foot in the ground and stand your, your footing. You need to stand your ground. It's going to be a lot harder for somebody to knock you over or knock you off your feet because they're dug into the dirt. Not only that, but if you are in battle and you're on rocks and it's rained and the rocks are slippery, the grit of the nails would keep you from losing ground but allows you to do what the verse says a few verses earlier, to take your stand. Listen to how Ephesians says it back a few verses. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. It's talking about the things that God's given us as a follower of Christ, as somebody who is, is saying, I, I'd like peace in my life. I want to be right with God. I want to invite him in. He says, well, if you're coming into this, I've got some things for you that are going to help you with your Christian walk and with your Christian battles. First of all, there's a helmet. It's not a real helmet, but it's called salvation. Nothing will mess with your mind more than legalism when you come into Jesus and then all of a sudden the devil walks in and, and starts saying, you're not really forgiven. If they really knew who you were, they, would, they wouldn't have nothing to do with you. You're not really saved. Or that you have a moment of weakness in your life and you do something stupid and then the enemy comes in and says, you know that Jesus wants nothing to do with you now, right? You've proven yourself to be unfaithful. You might as well just quit. And then you just say, that's right, I'm going to stay home. I'm not going to church. Honey, give me the remote control. Click. And then you just kind of disconnect it. God says, here's a helmet of salvation. Here's a blessed breastplate of righteousness. I I'll tell you what, the enemy knows how to strike your life at the right moment in the right place. You might have your knowledge and understanding that Jesus has saved you, but then you all of a sudden have a moment where you fail him and you have a moment of vulnerability and the enemy takes a shot right at your heart and says, yeah, you might be saved, but you're not righteous. You're not right with God, and you can't go out in confidence. You can't really take your stand. You're going to lose. You're going to fail. You're going to fall back. You're going to die. He goes through all these different things. The sword of the Spirit. He goes through and he talks about then the, the, the Word of God as a sword and all these different things, but then he ends it with shoes and says this, listen, Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore. Take a stand in your life. Now listen, I understand we have two responses in life. We actually have three, right? Fight, flight, and freeze. Everyone says fight and flight, but there's a third one, freeze. How many of you are freezers out there? Conflict comes your way. Fight, fight, freeze. Red light, green light, one, two, three. Freeze. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about? Freeze tag. freeze tag, right? Some of us fight, some of us flight, some of us freeze, but God says, forget all of that. I want you to take a stand. Any of you have ever boxed, kickboxed, or anything like that? The way you're standing, the stance that you take determines on if you, you'll get knocked over or not. Are you in a back stance? Are you in a front stance? Are you in a horse stance? You, it, you shift your weight accordingly, and those shoes are critical. And listen, it's not just the gospel. It's not just Jesus saying, hey, put on that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. It's also those things that, that, that are the truths found in God's word that give you the ability to stand, that hold you steady. He will keep in perfect peace those whose minds have stayed on him because he trusts in, because they trust in him. Isaiah, like, it's, it's also the truth that that, that, that God, when you're worried about where you're going to go and what you're going to do, Jesus says, let tomorrow worry about itself. And it digs you in to say, I don't have to have tomorrow in control and there's enough worry of today, it's sufficient. That gives you a readiness, that readiness to plant the gospel in your own life, to plant the gospel in your life to, with others taking a stand. And to even if necessary, 
to bring the gospel to somebody else as well. It's not just the John 3.16 shoes. It's every aspect of God's truth being ready to apply that to your own life and to take your stand. I think of two places in Scripture where I see this in the Old and the New Testament in two people's lives. <laughs> One of them comes from 2 Samuel chapter 23, 11 and 12. And it talks, chapter 23 is such a great passage. Um, those of you watching online, those of you here, I encourage you to read 1 Samuel, or 2 Samuel 23. It talks about the mighty men of God. Not right now, but, but later on today. It's a great story. There are three guys that are his inner circle. These are, these are the MMA fighters of David's mighty men. And one of those guys, his name is Shema, the son of Agi, a Herahite. The, and see, they, they, they mention him as clan, but they say, this guy Shema, it says, the Philistines gathered at Lehi, not Lehi Clinic, but Lehi, this place, Lehi, right? Where there was a plot of ground filled with lentil beans. And the men fled from the Philistines. Now here's, let me set the stage because it, we're in a day now where I can say, you guys know the story. No, we, we don't know the story. Even those of us that go to church, it, it, it's just not happening necessarily there. But here's this guy. Now the Philistines are the enemies of God's people. They're constantly trying to drive them out of the land that God promised to Abraham. They're in the land now. Joshua's already conquered it. The, the, the book of Judges is coming gone. And now finally David is king. And they're, they're, they're there. And the enemy gets all the way up to their, to their home. We have never experienced war in our own country except during the Civil War. We've never experienced what most countries around the world have experienced, foreign invasion. But imagine all of a sudden the enemy in your backyard, in your business, in your field, on your farm, near your family. You're kind of like, I, for, what in the world's going on? And everybody in that group fled. They said, there's no hope in fighting, we're outnumbered, and they fled. But you know what this guy, Shema, did? He, he stood. He stood his ground, and he takes out his sword, and the guy starts chopping away, like, I don't even know what, like a ninja, like a, like a, a, a whatever. He's cutting and he's hacking, and everybody's running, looking over their shoulders. They're getting further away, and they notice that instead of the fighting stop, the, bio, the bodies begin to pile up. The bodies begin to pile up. This guy is so determined. He says this. He says, I don't care if it's just a bean patch. It's my bean patch. I don't care if it's a farm. This is my farm. God's given me this. This is given to me by God. And do you know what hell does? It gives a full-on assault after your identity, after, after your blessing, after your abundance. And what the enemy would love for you to do is to pack your bags and split and say, it's hopeless, it's helpless, but somebody, my goodness, will somebody please stand up in this church and plant your feet down and say, these are my kids. This is my family. This is my help. This is my hope. This is my well-being. And I don't care if everybody else runs. I'm going to kill them all. That we get some grit in our life. He took his stand in a plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines. And the Lord worked a great victory. You see, if you look inside yourself, you'll take off just like everybody else. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You're not as good looking as me. You, won't, you don't stand a chance. 
And that's the problem is, is it says God brought the victory. And the problem is, is when the enemy comes in, we look around and we look in instead of looking up and looking out and saying, God gave me this and I'm going to fight for it. There are some things worth fighting for. And hell would love for you to freeze and flee. But when it comes to the things of God, take a stand. And then Matthew, when Jesus is in the wilderness and the devil, knock, knock. Little kid just laughed, sorry. Distracted. Squirrel. So picture this. Jesus is in the wilderness. He's tempted. First of all, I appreciate that we serve a God who brought himself down to earth. And while I love the divinity of Jesus, that he saved me and all this, and that he's God, he also was fully human. That's the thing about us is we obsess over the divinity of God that we miss the humanity of Jesus. He was tempted. Same with Elijah. He was tempted in all ways as you, as you and me. Jesus will be able to look at you and I in the face for all eternity and say, I understand. He didn't want to be sterilized and separated from the process. He wanted to insert himself into it to be able to say, I was as fully human as I was divine. And there, the enemy comes to Jesus the same way he comes to you and me. Take the shortcut. Hey, Jesus, I know you're hungry, but I know who you are. Turn those stones into bread. Take, take care of yourself, man. Take care of yourself. What does Jesus do? I'm sorry. It is written. It's a good Jewish phrase. Every time they quote the Bible in Jewish literature, they always preface it with, it is written. Man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. And he goes out a little further. He says, hey, Jesus, take the shortcut. Don't walk out that journey. You can be a little bit more sure. Let me give you control of the outcome here. Control your appetite, Jesus. Feed yourself. Here goes another one. Let me, let me help you with the, the control here. And if people just saw who you were and you did a miracle, they'll totally buy into you. And so he takes him to the pinnacle of the temple, which those of you going in October, you'll see any of you wishing to go, there's still room for this trip. But you come to the pinnacle of the temple, and throughout the week, throughout the day, they would, during festivals and during different moments of prayer, they would blow the trumpet, the shofar, from the pinnacle of the temple, and all eyes would turn to that direction. So he takes him there intentionally, knowing, Jesus, if you jump, Let's plan it so that that trumpet blows so all eyes are on there and they'll see the angels come in and pick you up and fly you back and Jesus, take the shortcut and show everybody who you are. Don't let God reveal it that way. Take the control in your own hands and let everybody know. And Jesus says, nope, I'm sorry. I'm not gonna do it. Takes him to the top of a mountain, says, see all these worlds? See all these kingdoms? Let me put it to you simply, Jesus. I know that God is the Father, but he's given all these to me. And I know the reason you're here is to get through to all of them. I know you don't want to put God to the test, and I know that man doesn't live by bread alone. But listen, take the shortcut here. Take the shortcut. I'll give you all these kingdoms if you'll bow down and worship me. And what does he do? He says, be gone from me, Satan. Devil leaves him until an opportune moment. You know, it's interesting, that opportune moment where he returns is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Everything in between Jesus' life from there forward is henchmen from hell, demons. Devil doesn't interact with him directly anywhere we see in Scripture until that opportune moment. And guess what? In your walk of life, in your Christian walk, the devil totally is an expert at timing. 
He's an expert at shortcuts. But this thing called the walk, God's given us shoes to take not only a walk before him, but also at moments to take a stand the same way that Jesus did. And some of us in this room here this morning, God's calling us to begin to stop taking the shortcut and to begin to start taking a stand. And of course, Isaiah 52, he says, how beautiful are the mountains at the feet of those who bring good news. That's really what the gospel means. Gospel is, uh, it's German word. It just means good speed to the good news. You know, it's just good news. There's lots of good news. Not just, you see, Jesus isn't just like, Lord. Jesus isn't a laundromat that we bring our dirty laundry to him and he washes it and we just keep bringing it back to him. But he's a tailor. He knows how to, he, he, is, he is a physician. He is a financial planner. Like God, God is, everything around you in this world is not an original idea. God is the author of all things. And if you would put your life into his hands, if you would begin to get into his word and begin to walk out that word in your life, you would see every area of your life changed. And although sometimes we need to walk and sometimes we need to stand, sometimes we need to run. I'm shouting this out to uh, family, two people, two families in our church, two a guy and a girl who do 100-mile races. They're sick, they're twisted, I don't get it. Yeah. Uh, I incredibly, I admire them very, very much, Colleen and Alex, and uh, she just recently broke her ankle, so please pray for her. If any of you know what it's like to be a runner and then to break your leg and say you can't go anywhere for the next few months, that's an incredible strain. Uh, if you know them personally and you, you want to say, hey, how can I help? I encourage you to reach out to them. But, but Alex... And Colleen both run these 100-mile races. And the, the Bible puts it like this in Hebrews 12.1. It says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that clings to it so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. See, there are times where it's not time to stand, and it's not time to walk. Sometimes there are times where you need to run, and you got to put hustle in the muscle. And, and time waits for no one, but sometimes timing is everything, even with this thing of called the walk of faith and the walk with God. Sometimes you got to just run your race. And it's the race that's set before you, by the way. How many of you, like me, could identify with sitting back and saying, oh, if only... The vision of your life and the reality of it always look different. But it's the life that God's given you. And why not commit yourself to being the best version of you in that commitment and that walk for God's glory and honor and say, Lord, may, I may not be where I want to be, but I, I, I'm where I ought to be. And although I would have loved other things to happen in my life, I just want you to know that I love you and, and I'm ready to kick up the dust and I'm going to just start running this race with perseverance for you. The, the marathon, that Boston Marathon, one of the most famous ones, is 26 miles. The reason it's 26 miles is because back in the early B.C., in the first century B.C., there was an invasion of the Persian army and they landed on a, on a plane called Marathon. And so what happened is one of those guys was told to run as fast as he could to the city of Athens to warn them and tell them we need as many soldiers as possible. He ran all the way down to, to Athens, which was 26 miles away from that battle, and that's how we get the 26-mile mark from the marathon. What people don't tell you 
is that after he stopped there, they said, we're going to need all the help we get. Run down to the Spartans because they're good fighters and go down there. And so now he runs 100 miles. And when he gets there, he asks the Spartans for help. And then after he gives his message, he dies. So the moral to the story is you can run 100 miles, you can run 26 miles, but don't run a 126-mile race back to back. God wants us to to run the race that's set before us, not, not the one that we want. And it requires endurance, doesn't it? it? It requires us sometimes pushing ourselves. You know, I remember them describing this run that they do, and uh, one of them was telling me as they ran, it would get into two and three in the morning because it's, it's an ongoing race, and they were literally running and falling. They were literally running in their sleep, practically. I, I, I can't even imagine the challenge just... The, the, what it required to prepare yourself for that. And it's easy to grow weary, but God says to us this in Scripture, do not grow weary in well-doing. You know, it's very easy to become a bitter person when you're doing good things. If you try to associate that the, the, the good things that you're doing should result in a better life for you. But God says that we're, we ought to do good always to all men. And we don't do this seeking a reward. We do it because it's the right thing to do. Well, sometimes God tells us to take a walk. Sometimes he tells us to take a stand. Sometimes he tells us to take a run. And then other times he tells us to take off our shoes. Two moments in Scripture where we see this very clearly. The first is with Moses. It says, that God said to him, do not come near. Take off your sandals from your feet for the place which you're standing holy ground. Same event happens with his, his protege, Joshua, who fills his shoes after. And it says this in chapter 5, verse 15, the angel of the Lord appears, and the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And so Joshua did so. That's kind of a weird thing, like how many of you have friends when they're getting ready to kick off their shoes, you're kind of like, no, 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 keep those on right? I thought it was funny, but why, why take off your shoes? Well, first of all, you're not going to move as fast because you're going to feel the ground beneath you. You're going to feel that glass. You're going to feel that, that unnatural bump in the rock, and you're not rushing around. What's interesting about these two moments where God says to take off shoes, they happen to be very holy moments. They happen to be moments of a critical moment for critical movement that's about to take place. One of them is that God is about to move Moses into delivering an entire nation from the greatest superpower on the face of the earth with the greatest miracles that ever happened back to back, and he's going to do it all with a guy and a stick. God can do more with your simple life and the simple things within your reach than you can with all of your resources, with all of your intellect, with all of your whatever. He says, take off your shoes. And then he turns to Joshua, and he shows up, and Joshua asks him the question, and he goes, hey, uh, whose side are you on? It's a really good question if you think about it from a military point of view. 
He says, I, I am neither for you or for them, but I am here on behalf of the Lord. In other words, God was saying, I'm not here to take sides, I'm here to take over. God shows up in our life when there's a moment, a critical stepping point where there's gonna be a lot of movement, but sometimes there comes a point where you need stillness. Now, I'm gonna speak over some of your heads. I'm gonna speak into your future to others of you, and then there are gonna be a few of you in this room that will understand exactly what I'm talking about. But when we talk about holiness, we're not just talking about having a good week in our walk with God. Holiness actually has very little to do with us and everything to do with God. The most holy moment in scripture that we see a man witnessing heaven is from Isaiah chapter six. The guy's already been ministering with his mouth for six chapters and then all of a sudden he sees a vision and there are angels flying all over the place and they're going around and they're saying, holy, 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 Kodesh, Kodesh, Kodesh. He said, they're, they're flying around and the angels are saying the word holy, holy, holy. This is interesting because whenever you say something twice, it's heaven getting earth's attention. Abraham, Abraham, Moses, Moses. Whenever you say things three times in Judaism, it's a declaration of heaven that means it doesn't matter what earth thinks about it. God is flying, the angels are flying around saying, God is holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah thought he knew what holiness was until he saw the holiness of God. This is the thing about drawing near to God. As you begin to draw near to him, it will begin to highlight more and more of his holiness, and it will highlight more and more of your unholiness. But it's not that God wants you to pull back and pull away, but to move closer and allow him to begin to do some work in your life to begin to take your shoes off. That being is as important as doing. And so what does he do? He sends an angel, takes a coal, touches his lips, burns off, purges off the impurity. He says, see, Isaiah says this. He says, I, I, I have unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And the angel satisfies God's requirement and just touches him and says, you're set. You see, that as you begin to walk closer with God and you begin to still yourself and you begin to take off your shoes, you're going to see the holiness of God, but you're also going to, it's going to magnify your sense of unworthiness, your sense of, of humanity, but don't be afraid of that. Don't run away from that. Don't put your shoes back on and take off. Be still and follow God's instruction. It's a call to be more like him, to be in his presence, to, to allow him to show things that need to change in our life before we get moving. Some of us are so go, 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 that we forget the be, be, be. Be still and know that I'm God. God tells him to take off his shoes. He tells Joshua to take off his shoes. Not only that, I'm just gonna jump forward here just for time's sake. Not only that, but sometimes God says, put shoes on his feet. I'm gonna ask uh, whoever's here, keyboard player, anybody? Yes. I wanna just say a special thank you to Eliezer and Noah for helping with keys and with drums. He's a wonderful young man. He's going home to North Carolina soon where it's about 20 degrees warmer than here. I hate you, I love you, <laughs> to the Carolinas and uh, just appreciate you. I wanna close with 
what, what do you mean put on shoes? Here I'd like to point out my son put the wrong Bible verse up there. It's not John 3.16 and he said he couldn't change it. Just kidding, actually I put it there, but he said we can't change it, Dad. It's too late in service. So it's actually Luke 15.22. It's from the story of the prodigal son. I'm not going to assume and say, you all know the story of the prodigal son because maybe there might be someone here that doesn't, but Jesus tells a story of a father with two kids And he says that one of the sons went up to his father and said, give me my half of the inheritance. You have to understand in Jewish culture, he was saying, you might as well be dead. I only care about your stuff. Give me my portion and I'm gonna go out and live my life. You can sit here and rot. One of the pieces of advice I always give people is go home. There's no place like home. Another shoe story there. That's, of course, assuming that home is not a toxic environment. He takes off. He goes spending all of dad's money. He didn't even earn it. It was inheritance money. He spends it on everything you would think. Prostitutes, alcohol. He's buying everybody's, he's taking care of everybody's tab, throwing crazy parties, totally not living on a budget because he thinks that money just is a bottomless pit till finally he hits the bottom. And then when the money's gone, the girl's gone, the guys are gone, the party's over, and he has nowhere to go. And he thinks to himself, man, the last place I can go is home. I just told my dad, drop dead. Give me my inheritance. I just squandered everything. How am I going to go home? So he starts looking for a job. First honest wage in the kid's life. His father had taken care of him his whole life. Now he's out there. Only job he can find is feeding pigs. And they have to understand the irony of this. He's Jewish. It's an unclean animal. They have nothing to do with pigs. They, know, they don't eat bacon. They don't go. It drives me nuts when I'm in Israel. I can't find a bacon cheeseburger anywhere. It's one place in Jerusalem. I know where to, I know where to get it. They don't do bacon. And he starts eating out of the pig trough with the animals. And he says to himself, he's like, my gosh, how did I get here? And he does something that the Bible shows us, and I really appreciate that it's there. He prethinks his conversation with his dad. I gotta have a pitch for my father here because there's no excuse. I'm gonna go in and say, dad, uh, I am so not worthy to be your son but even the servants in your house are treated better than I'm living right now. I'm not worthy to be your son, but just allow me to be your servant. I don't know if everybody has ever hit that level of humility in their life. But he thinks that conversation through. You know what the the great thing about it is he never gets the chance to put it to his lips. Because as soon as his father sees him, he runs out and he runs out to him and he, and he gets him and he gives him a big hug instead of being put on staff and eating, out of, eating with the servants and treating him as a second-rate sinner. He's like, my son, my son's back. He's back. And he says this, get a robe, get a ring. But then he ends and he says, put shoes on his feet put shoes on his feet. Never saw that until recently. 
We always think about the robe and the ring, all those symbols. He says, get some, get some shoes on my son. I'll never forget when I was in my last year at Bible college, I went to a summer camp where we were taking kids out of New York City, bringing them into the woods, giving them this camping experience, and it was awesome. And my whole life, I didn't grow up in a wealthy family. I didn't grow up with a lot of means, but I always was kind of wanting a pair of Timberland boots. I know that's kind of like sounds stupid, but that would be the equivalent of like, I want those $900 pair of sneakers. First of all, like, why, right? But these were great boots. They were great for hiking. I just was like, oh man, if I could only have some Timbies. I'd go into school and I'd watch people with them and I'd be like, oh, if I only had. And somebody just blessed me with a gift of 125 bucks and I went out and I bought a pair. First pair I ever had in my life. They were awesome. It was like walking on sunshine, man. Walking on water. I know, you, you want to bust out that song, but I won't. And, and there I am. And I go back to school, and we did this thing called Street Team. They call it Street Team. They still do it, and I think it's a great ministry. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing today, after service. Immediately following service, we're going to group, we're going to gather. And those of you that want to come with us, we're going to go downtown. We're going to take all these sneakers that Colleen Bergdahl got from New Balance for us. Thank you, Colleen. God bless you. <laughs> and uh, she said that every six weeks, they could get us these these pairs of shoes and we can sift through them and bring them out there and uh, but here's what happened I I went out and when I was downtown there were these two kids trying to share Jesus you ever see street team people share Jesus it's like scalp hunting they're like if we get them to say the prayer they're okay you know what Jesus said go make disciples not just confessions discipleship is such an important part of it evangelist is an important part of what we do but discipling that person is where the real magic happens and it's an important part of the process some sow some some water some reap you know it's like it, it it's we're all a part of the process but they were being really aggressive to this older gentleman and I could see him I had enough street smarts in me I was like these guys have no idea something is about to go very wrong and so they he's getting back he's like just stay away from me stay away from me and they're like but you need Jesus you need to you know they're using all the term you need to repent you need to get right with God and, and he's like get away from me so I walk up and he says, he yells out loud, he said, what are you doing to these guys? And I put my arm around him, I said, what they're doing is getting out of here. And I turned him around and I kind of shooed him off and I had another friend of mine that pulled him away. And I turn around and I've got a pistol pointed at my stomach. He reached in, he was like this when I was walking up and now he's got a pistol. He's like, what are they doing? Who do they think they are? Get away from me, leave me alone. And all of a sudden the peace of God hit me. And I look at him and I say, sir, I said, what they were doing a really bad job at, I think what they were trying to tell you is, is that Jesus loves you. I said, I don't know what they might or how they might have said it, might have come out all wrong, but I think what God wants you to know is he loves you and he cares about you. What do you mean he cares about me? I mean, I can't even remember the details of the back and forth, but we're going back and forth, and I just have this incredible peace in my heart. And then I heard the Holy Spirit speak to, my, to me. What does that mean? He, he texted me. Uh, I heard a voice. No, that just means that a thought and an idea came into my heart and my mind that just wouldn't be the natural thing for me to do. And I felt like the Lord said to me, Paul, this guy has heard that I love him his whole life. He needs to see that I love him. 
give him your shoes. Give him your shoes. And with tears <laughs> and hesitation, without flinching, I took off my lifelong prize and put it in his hands. And as I bent down to take my shoes off, I saw that one of his boots was cut open to the front. It was all gangrene. He was down at the bus station because he had just been coming back from the medical center and getting his foot looked at. And I said, sir, I said, Jesus loves you. And I put the boots in his hands. He began to cry. I had the privilege of putting my arm around him. And I said, God, I pray that from this day forward, he would see that you love him. And his bus pulled up at that moment. He hopped on and he drove away. This Sunday and many Sundays forward, I don't know everything. I know that God is in charge. I know that God has put me in charge of this church. And I know that there are people that are behind us that are, that are supporting in all kinds of ways, but we're going to make a difference in Appleton Street and wherever in the world those streets are. There are places in our city underground where people are living that it's not even really fully safe to go there. We're not going in those directions with, with exposing people, but what we're doing in a safe way is we're going to a safe spot right on Appleton Street. Any of you who are not from this area, Appleton Street is riddled with drugs, it's riddled with homelessness, and it's riddled with prostitution. I was at Brooklyn Tabernacle recently, and about in the past year, and Jim Simbola, the pastor, I know his daughter, and you know, I always feel like I'm reintroducing myself to him, but he's like, where are you, Paul? And I was like, I'm up in Lowell, in Lowell, and he goes, oh, Appleton Street. Like, I'm like, how in the world in New York City, a place that is so out of control, do they know what's going on there? Right now, you know what? The city is starting to clean up the problem. What they're doing is, is they're just arresting people left and right. And believe me, there are problems down there that we can't help everybody, but we can walk our life. We could take off our shoes. We could give them shoes. We do things with wisdom. I love how Junior does this. Whenever he gives somebody a pair of shoes, he requires that they give the ones that are on their feet so they don't turn around and sell them. But I think that this is the beginning of a walk for our church that we're going to continue to walk out. And let me tell you what, there are people not only on the left here that we need to reach, but there are people also on the right. That's why we opened up our building to Alphabest. That's why we continue to say, God, give us creative ways to get into people's lives and, and help them see the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got $20,000 sitting in an account. We're trying to get the wisdom on how and what to get with that. In the next few weeks, we'll, we'll have a clear idea of what to do with that. But but this is a great opportunity for us to put shoes on somebody's feet, to be the gospel, not to just tell somebody and be another person that says, hey, Jesus loves you, as we drive by and throw blankets and sandwiches at them. Do you know the names of the homeless people? There's a man in my hometown in Haverhill where my wife and I lived. Everybody called him Crazy Mike, not my wife, she called him Mike. And he was at coffee shop one time and she, he's dialing up a ruckus. He just sounded, he it sounded crazy. That's why people did it. But he's like, Mike, he's like, what? How do you take your coffee? Goes, Sugar and cream. Reaches in his pocket and he starts pocket lint and change falling all over the place. She's like, don't worry about that. And he loved my wife. Story is, is that Mike, and I don't know, 
can't back this up, but from what I heard, Mike came from a family of wealth. He just went to Vietnam and he never came back. And rather than, than living in home, a home I heard that they purchased for him, rather than doing that, he just never came back and he just lived on the streets. And I'll never forget when he passed away right outside of Pentucket Bank. He, he, he passed away in his sleep. That wasn't a homeless guy. That was our friend Mike. These are people. These are people who need the love of God. They need shoes on their feet. And we're going to give it to them. We're going to find a need and meet it. We're going to find a hurt and heal it. And we're going to find the joy of serving because when we find the joy of serving, we'll never want to be served again. I don't know. We're going to make mistakes, yeah. We're going to we're going to get it right. Yep. I think a lot. We're going to do something. And that's one of many ways for you to walk out your life. Listen, joining us today does not determine who's spiritual and who isn't. Some of you got places to go and things to do. Going with us today doesn't determine who is fully committed and who isn't. Some people are not called into that realm and that world. You know what? There's some people, they're comfortable walking into, CE, into conversations with CEOs and with people and those kind of things, and then they make a difference in that level versus other people that are able to go out there and just love on people. But I'm telling you, this is a great opportunity for you to join us, a safe opportunity for you to join us and make a difference. So, Father... Right now, we give you the feet of Lola Assembly of God. That's us. This up and rising Northeast Christian Church, this place that you put here back in 1946 that continues to grow into the purposes of God. Lord, we're going to walk, not the walk that we wanted or expected or anticipated, but the one that you've given us. We're going to run the race set before us, not the one we wish that was. We're going to take a stand when everybody else wants to freeze or flee. We're going to take off our shoes in holy moments to hear clearly before we get busy. And Lord, last but not least, we're going to put shoes on prodigals. Be glorified today. Come on with me. Would you, would you pray with me that God would move this afternoon on the streets? Be glorified, Jesus. We don't know their names. You do. We don't know their stories, you do. Lord, help us today to be like Jesus. Be glorified in all that come, all that go, all we do and all we give. May everyone, Lord God, exercise street smarts, staying together, but take us on a journey, Father. This is the one you've set before us and we'll follow you in Jesus' name. I'm going to slip off, but as I do, some of you need to slip out and others of you just want to slip in prayer. We welcome you to do that. In 15 minutes, we're going to regather here for any of you who are wanting to join us to go out and uh, we'll meet right here in the middle section. And we're so grateful. Thank you for being a part of this family we call Lowell Assembly, North, Northeast Christian Church. And we are grateful for you. May God bless you and you're coming in and you're going out. Amen. Thank you.